All right. Take out your Bibles, please. We are in John chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, we have a shortened lesson today, which, I mean, that's relative, right? Um, it could be long. Uh, we are in part 83 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Connected and Loving It. And I want to begin with a couple phrases, but I'm going to immediately go into the fill in the blank on the sheet that was given to you at the front door. So if you want to have that ready, that would be excellent. Once again, we're in John chapter 15, verse 1, and it's around page 901 in the Bible's under the seat in front of you if you need one of those. Page 901, John 15, verse 1. Let me begin with a statement. I believe that we should be as victorious as the level of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. Why? Because he lived it as an example of what it means to be submitted to the Father and what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, are we? No, we are not. And as a matter of fact, I don't know a whole lot of folks that are. I don't know anybody that's moving at that level. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying, but that's what he came to do. He came to lead by example. Now, there's some things we're never going to do. We're not here to die for the sins of the world, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that Jesus is going to do that we're not going to do. However, the majority of his life in ministry was him role modeling that we would mimic the exact same way and actually to have the same impact as we just read last time we were together. You will do the things Jesus did and even greater things will you do because God goes worldwide. Now there's more people empowered by him to go do what he was doing. So yeah, I think it should be far more victory What's intriguing to me is that the disciples were powerful in the Lord, but their world was brutal. I mean, it was like everything else was wrong. They were powerful in the Lord, but uh, they were persecuted and beat and they were torn apart. And they, it was a horrible life on the outside, but their inside was awesome. It's so weird that we live in peace with little power. And I, and I guess I keep thinking to myself, God, does it have to be this way? Do we have to be in a state of persecution just to walk like you? Is it that our prosperity, is it that our ease wrecks what you're trying to do? Because uh, I look at all these other areas where in the world where there's heavy persecution, I'm watching the church explode. I'm watching the Holy Spirit move in power. I'm watching them uh, engage with God with absolute abandon. And I'm saying, does it have to wreck us? Does our peace have to mess everything up? Or why can't we allow the answers to prayer prior put us in a place of blessing with God and we still love him and live for him intensely. You know what I mean? Can't we enjoy the glory of what God has given us in a place that is still religiously free? Can't we, can't we enjoy that and run around and be on fire for God or do we have to be crushed? I guess I look at it and I say, man, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't know very many people that walk that way. I I know that for me, I'm not walking it out the way that he intended it. What he meant was the yoke that you tie together with me, the, the idea that you would have to go where Jesus goes is easy. 
It's kind of like, well, I'm walking you into places that I've empowered you to do. I mean, there's some awesome things here. And the burden that I place on you that you have to carry on your back is light. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. Your stuff is light. But I don't know whether or not we're living that way. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is my opinion. Christianity should be a lot easier. Christianity should be a lot easier than it is. Why? Because I think that the majority of the weight that we carry is self-imposed drama. That's my problem. And that's not what Jesus asked you to carry. I think we are exhausted on things he never asked us to do. I think that he set us free from a lot of sin and garbage and addiction that we have reintroduced back into our lives. And I think we're making everything harder for ourselves. I thought, really, okay, so we have self-imposed drama, so how does that work? I was thinking there's really three areas on why Christianity is so difficult, because it, the, the disciples didn't just have an easy life. Jesus didn't have an easy life, but the ease of the kingdom should be there. And I'm thinking, all right, so self-imposed drama. Uh, number one, we have self-sabotage. Y'all know what self-sabotage is, okay? Uh, probably the easiest way for me to uh, maybe relate it to you is, man, I had a horrible day, and so I'm going to eat a gallon of ice cream watching TV. Okay, that's self-sabotage, all right? Because what that means is I feel miserable, so I'm going to do something that makes me feel more miserable, right, later on. There's a lot of that. So Jesus comes in, breaks all these chains, and then we spend the rest of the time trying to figure out how to put them back on. You know what I mean? And then we're like, oh, I'm so weighed down. He's like, well, that's not even locked. And he just knocks it off here. And you're like, well, anyway, it's dark in here. He's like, well, you put up the shades on the window. What are you doing? Right? Uh, the other thing is that I do believe that there is a laziness and lack of training. I think we all have great intentions. I think we have great hearts. I don't think we train very well. I don't think we're utilizing what he gave us. So, for example, if you go into a sword fight without a sword... It's really harder. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're following the analogy there, but uh, we're not even using the stuff that he gave us. I don't think that we need to try harder. I think we need to train smarter. You know what I mean? I think that all of us are trying super, super hard. I think we need to be more purposeful in how we train for it because I really think that we get into the ring and we're all pumped up for Jesus. And then the enemy just beats the living daylights out of us because we never even trained for this. We think we should just be able to run a marathon. Well, you don't just run a marathon. You train to run a marathon. That's how it works. Uh, and then the third thing, of course, is that we have a present enemy. Okay, it's not like we're just getting to float around here and do our own things. We have three enemies in this world. The world, the flesh, the devil, the Bible says. And their job is to wreck our lives. So the world, the whole system of the world is really rough on your spirit. What do I mean? I mean, it's built to say you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not this, you're not that, and that's the message you get every day walking in the world. All advertisement is designed to tell you you lack. Well, that's pretty rough on your spirit, you know what I mean? And then it says the world, the flesh, our own flesh, we feed it so much that when we tell it to go away, it won't. 
You know what I'm saying there? It's almost like I will bombard myself with less than clean things. And then I go into prayer and I'm like, all right, you guys back off. I'm trying to pray here. Okay, no, the flesh is like, you've been feeding me this entire time. I'm not going anywhere. And then I get into a battle about it. Oh, why is it so hard? Well, because you've been encouraging it this whole time. And then we have a personal devil that is trying, he knows he can't kill you. God has certain protections on you. So he's going to try to kill your joy. He's going to try to kill your advancement. He's going to try to kill the fruit in your life. He's going to try to wreck you and he does not intend well for you. So that's why it is hard. But shouldn't a lot of those things be easier if we said yes to the Lord or if we even allowed his truth to be true for us? For example, Satan the devil is an accuser and it's the Bible says that he's the father of lies. That means his, the majority of his interaction with us is to convince us of something that's not true, right? Can we all follow that? So for example, he'll accuse us and go, man, you're a loser. You're terrible. I can't believe you. You're a sinner. You're ter- You're this, that, blah, blah, blah. And yet the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we won't even allow that truth to be truth for us. We listen to the devil more than we'll listen to God's word. I just believe that God has given us much more freedoms. I think he's given us much more authority. I think he's given us much more power. I think he's given us much more outs from temptation. And we're just simply not taking them. And so we make Christianity harder than it is. What we're going to find out from Jesus today is that he thinks that it should be different. And he will show you the reason why his earthly ministry went the way it did is because he was connected to the Father. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Uh, John 15, 1, because where does the power to live victoriously and powerfully come from? It comes from God. None of us can heal anyone, but God can. None of us can save anyone, but God can. We are merely a conduit for God's power. God is the one that does everything and he deserves all the glory. So John 15, 1, it begins with two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. I am. The personal name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. I am that I am. Moses asked God, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? He said, I am. Jesus shows up and says, I am. In the book of John or the gospel of John, he records seven times Jesus used I am statements. This is the seventh of the seven. And he says this time, I am the true grapevine. Well, that seems like an odd metaphor. Well, let's just keep rolling with it. I am the true grapevine and my father in heaven is the vine dresser, the caretaker, the farmer, the one watching over the vineyard. Every branch in me, Jesus said, that does not bear fruit, which in this circumstance is grapes, he takes away. Where does he put them? We'll talk about that later. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes and cuts back that it may bear more fruit. All right. Why is he using vine as an analogy? Because the vine had become the symbol of Israel. The grapevine. Um, It was so much the 
symbol of Israel, that hanging on the external wall of the temple was a massive grapevine made of gold. The grape clusters on the grapevine, according to Josephus the historian, were as tall as an adult man. This is a massive golden vine hanging on the outside. Now, if indeed Jesus is walking out from the upper room in Jerusalem, crossing the Kidron Valley, and going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be betrayed, it is possible that maybe looking back at the temple, he was remembering that massive vine hanging there. Why did it become the symbol? Well, one of the reasons is because in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine of God over and over and over. Unfortunately, most of those references are negative. They're referred to as the vine of God that has either gone reckless in their disobedience or they have become no longer fruit bearing. Jesus steps in and says, I'm the real deal. I am what Israel was always supposed to be. I'm the representative of Israel. I'm the true vine that bears the fruit that my father always wanted to bear through you. The Jews were created to be the salt and light of the whole earth. Jesus said, all right, I'm doing that. I'm the true vine. Y'all think that you're connected to God because you're Jews. I'm actually the true vine. So if you're not connected to me, you're not connected to him at all. Well, that was earth shattering to them. Then he begins to talk about this whole idea of fruit. He said, if you don't produce fruit, you get taken away. If you do produce fruit, you get cut back. Well, that sounds like a lose-lose, right? But let me ask you this. Isn't pruning a loving process? Because you're seeking the best for the vine. Uh, just simple examples. Why do we prune grapevines? Well, from my research, it really comes out for a couple reasons. One is there can be disease and decay that enters into the wood of the grapevine. Well, you don't want any part of that getting to the, the important stuff. So you clip it off. The other thing is it will go on a long way and produce a whole lot of vine without a whole lot of fruit and ruin and take away all the nutrients. You want to cut it back so the nutrients stay where they need to stay and produce what they need to produce. It's a loving thing. It's the same reason why God will cut back and it doesn't always have to be disciplined. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just saying, hey, you are okay and content with the amount of fruit flowing out of your life. I'm not because I know what you can do. I know what I built you to do. And I know that you're impressed by yourself. Wait till I get a hold of you. I can do so much more through you. So I'm going to cut you back and then we're going to flourish. But nobody likes to be pruned. I don't like all the adjustments and changes that happen in ministry. I don't like how, you know, sometimes people come, people go. It, it, all that is very weird for me. You always kind of get into it and you try to like what you're in. And you go, no, 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 I like it this way, Lord. And he goes, but there's more. Let me ask you a real quick question. What is the purpose of having a grapevine? It's to have what? Grapes. All right, praise the Lord. You're with me. <laughs> the purpose of having a grapevine is to have grapes. What happens if you have a vine that doesn't have grapes? What's the point of the vine? Okay, you're not, there's nothing else to get from it. Now, I understand some of us have them because they're pretty. 
All right? That is not the old school way of looking at it, okay? But you have to take care of it for it to produce fruit. It's not just going to do its own thing. As a matter of fact, vineyard work is really hard work because it's delicate work in some ways, but you have to pay a lot of attention to it. In the ancient world, the, a brand new grapevine would be cut back so severely it would not be allowed to fruit for three years. It was too young. The idea was to get it more powerful and more powerful and more powerful and strong so that when it was ready, it could produce strong. Have you ever felt like you've been in a holding pattern with God while your character catches up with your calling? You know what I mean? Where he's like, hold on, we got a lot that we need to do and you are not ready, kid. You think you're ready because you can do some of it, but I want you to do all of it. And so I'm going to hold you here until I can get you built to do all of it. I think that's important. And if you know anything about grapevines, which I only know a little bit, and I even know this, soil matters. There is a reason why the Napa Valley is world famous. It's its soil. It's not that only brilliant people live there. It's soil. There's a reason why there's not massive grapevines in the tundra of Alaska. Okay? You're not going to work with that. Okay? The soil actually moves in through the vines and it will change the consistency of the grape. It actually makes it different. The atmosphere matters. Wouldn't you agree that in a believer's life, your atmosphere matters? Wouldn't you agree that that which you're taking all your uh, influences from matters? Of course it does. So you can play that analogy in your head over and over and over. But what's, what is fruit? I mean, I understand here it's grapes. What is fruit in our lives? It is anything that glorifies God, advances the kingdom because of your indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, notice what I did not say it was. It was not merely good things or nice things. The world can do nice things. Only the Holy Spirit produces fruit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, there is not going to be any kingdom fruit. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit, period. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer, right? But if you do, you have to produce fruit. By the very definition of him indwelling you, it forces fruit out. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? We know these things. Are they coming out in your life because the Holy Spirit prompted them? Are they coming out in your life as a natural extension? Remember that the fruit doesn't come off the vine. The fruit comes off the branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branch reaching out into the world. And then the fruit comes off of that. Oh, let's keep going on with this analogy. Uh, verse 3 almost looks like a hijack, but it's merely a parenthesis, in my opinion. Verse 3, Jesus said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And you go, wait, now we're back to the foot washing thing. Jesus was washing their feet, and he's like, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter's like, well, then watch everything. And he's like, all right, quit being a dork. And then, you know, I don't think Jesus said that, but he then said, I just need to wash your feet. What was his point here? If you're not saved, there's no point in having this conversation. If you are not cleansed by Jesus, you're not even in the vine. So why are we talking about fruit? But we are believers. 
those of us that have trusted Christ and surrendered to him. The disciples were believers. Now that Judas Iscariot is out of the room, he can say, guys, now we can talk about fruit. Here's what he says. Verse 4, key word of the whole message. Abide in me and I in you. How does he abide in us? But through the power of the Holy Spirit. But how do we abide in him? Abiding means to remain connected, to live together, to fuse, right? And so remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Like if it was a little detached branch on the ground, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you are not connected to God and drawing your sustenance from God and engage with God, you're not going to produce the amount of fruit that God desires in your life. That's the bottom line. He said, I'm the source. I'm the vine. You are the branches reaching out. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, demonstrates my power, demonstrates my love, demonstrates my compassion, right? For apart from me, you can do nothing of value. There's an awful lot of our energies going to things that he didn't ask us to do, and there's not lasting fruit with it, and we get very discouraged. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Once again, what's the point in having a grapevine if there's no grapes. If you abide in me, check this out, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, meaning what I tell you takes root and is richly growing in your life, ask whatever you wish in prayer and it will be done for you by God. What in the world? That's one of those phrases again. You're going, man, those throw me off because I prayed for stuff and it didn't happen. So what do you mean ask you for whatever you wish? Hold up. We know there's a caveat to this. You got to ask it in Jesus name. You got to ask it like he would. But let's look at it practically. God wants to bear fruit. Can we all agree with that? Because it makes him look awesome. If you go buy a lousy vineyard and it's all those shriveled up little baby grapes and you're, you usually look and you're like, somebody doesn't know how to grow grapes, Right. But if you come and that's massive and it's amazing, you look and you go, wow, I wonder who's caring for that vineyard. Okay, when we produce the fruit of the kingdom, the world's going, man, I wonder who's behind all that. And they all reflect on glory to God, right? So of course he wants you to produce. That's why you're here. If you weren't here to produce fruit, he would have taken you home a long time ago. So the fact that you're here means that he wants to produce fruit through you. Not just a little bit, a lot. You're content with a little tiny bit. He's not. And so what he's saying is, if the father wants to get stuff done, and I was doing stuff for him, and you're an extension of my body doing it, why would the father not want to do that? Of course he would. So anything you ask in accordance with that whole plan, of course he's going to sign off on. It's, it was his idea in the first place. So why aren't more of our prayers answered? I wonder whether or not we have an alignment problem. You know, everyone that came to Susie and I, my wife and I, for prayer on the worship prayer and healing night, I had a plan for their life. My plan 
was that everybody would be healed in every possible way. And if I could give them extra treats, that would be awesome. I mean, I was like, and here's a hundred dollars. You know, I mean, it was just, it was kind of silly, right? But that wasn't God's will. I have an alignment problem because I want certain things for all of you that God goes, you know what? Actually, that's not the best. I appreciate your heart, kid. That's good, but it's not what I want. So I'm trying to work on the connection so that I would know how to align so that everything I ask is in alignment with his will and he automatically authorizes. Now, even those that were completely aligned still got to know. Jesus got to know. Paul got to know, right? So even if you are perfectly aligned, doesn't mean you're not going to get a no. What I'm telling you is I'm getting a lot of no's that should be yeses. That's my problem, right? I think that's what we're working on. By this, my father is glorified. What makes him look good? That you bear much fruit and so prove with demonstration and evidence that you are my disciples. Makes God look good. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remember when the Bible uses the phrase loved from God, it assumes what you think already about love. Like you would go, man, the father's really into the son and the son's really into us. Okay, that's already an assumption. So when the Bible says that God loves like this, it means actively blessing. Remember, we took a few moments in a prior lesson where we broke down that phrase, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. Remember that? God didn't hate Esau. One, he actively was blessing to be the Messiah's line. One, he was not. Practically speaking, it looked like one was loved and one was hated, but that's not how it, that's not really the truth. So what I would like to do is we read through this next paragraph. I'm going to change the word love to actively bless because that's a better translation in my opinion. Here's what it would sound like. As the father has actively blessed me, so have I actively blessed you. Abide in my place of blessing. If you keep my commandments or follow what's important to me, you will remain blessed. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, what he wanted, and have been living in his blessing. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Two things you need to know about that. Obedience matters. Okay. Sin has an impact and you go well no kidding lance well hold on if you truly understood the cross you're going to wrestle with whether or not sin matters anymore at all why because jesus christ died for your sins past present and future you always think that sin has to do with stealing your salvation it doesn't and you're like well then it doesn't matter hold up grow up it matters relationally It matters whether or not Jesus has to move you from a place of blessing to a place of discipline. Now, parents both bless and discipline, do they not? It doesn't change the love. The love didn't shift. But how you're engaged with shifts. When you got to take your little brat out of Disneyland and correct them (laughs) so you can get them back into Disneyland and have fun that you intended in the first place, that's hijacking their blessing, right? So sin still matters. Obedience still matters because when you're walking in the strength of God, if you're walking in obedience, things start clicking and things start advancing and moving forward. 
when you move into disobedience and sin and step out of God's will, it messes up the fun. That's the point. So he's saying, listen, yeah, it does matter. When you stay with me and you obey me, I got you in a state of blessing. Now, the other thing that I think that is important on here is that he said, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What does that mean? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is deeper than that. How do you have joy in your life where you feel like your life matters? Obedience will get you there. Why? Because you finally feel like you have progress that's significant. They've done, and I've shared this with you before, they have done national studies on why people stay in a certain job, and it's not how much money they make. It's whether or not they feel there is meaningful progress. What we really crave is to matter, and what we do matter. When you are obedient to God, everything you do matters, no matter how little and insignificant it seems. He said this, guys, this is my commandment. Okay, remember when there was hundreds and hundreds of things, laws in the Old Testament, and God said, all right, I know you guys aren't going to memorize all that. I'll boil it down to 10. 10 commandments. You guys all tracking with that? Jesus goes, I'll one-up my father. I'll boil it down to one. Y'all can remember one, right? I need you to love sacrificially. Because if you do that, everything else rolls. This is my commandment, that you love one another in the same manner, to the same degree that I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. The best ever is that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is going to do that literally. We must do that in whatever way we're called. We must live sacrificially. Other people have to be more important than you. And you must put their needs before yours. That's just how it works in Christianity. Look at verse 14. This is powerful. He said, you are my friends. Talking to his disciples, talking to his church. You are my friends, my partners, my insiders. If you do what I command you. Why? Because then I can trust you to let you know more information. If you're out there constantly working with the enemy, why do I want to give you inside information? That doesn't make any sense. But as you're tracking with me, I give you info I don't give everybody else. No longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. He just gets commands, but no explanation. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, downloaded from heaven, I have shared with you. Okay, real quick, what does that mean? The church knows stuff the world doesn't. If I asked you, why are you here in this world? The world can't answer that question. They think it's meaningless. They think it's evolution. They think it's accidental. They don't know their value. But if I ask you, what do you say? My God built me for two primary purposes, for his glory and for relationship with him. I know who I am, I know why I'm here, and I know my purpose. Why do you know that? Because he gave you inside information. The rest of the world doesn't even know that stuff. When you ask the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? You have an answer in scripture. When the world says, why is there so much suffering? They're left with only frustration. Friends of God get inside information. Y'all remember the story when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He was going to blow it up, but he stopped somewhere on the way. Do you remember that? He takes this little side route and he goes where? 
to Abraham's house. In the Old Testament, two men are called friends of God, Abraham and Moses, because he gave them secret information. He stops at Abraham's house and he says, hey, real quick, I'm going to go blow up a city. What do you think about that? Abraham's like, I think that's a terrible idea. My nephew lives there. And he's like, well, that's a great point. Well, what do you think we should do? I don't know, man. If, if there's like righteous people, you can't just blow it up. And God's like, yeah, good point. Good point. How many do you, how many do you think? He's like, well, I don't know, like, like, like 20 or something. Yeah, 20. That's good. That's good. No, no, no. What? Like 15. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great idea. How about like 10? Okay. You're pushing it, Abraham. What do you want? Five. Okay. Yeah. If there's five righteous people, I won't blow it up. Were there five? Nope. <laughs> God's all great dialogue. That was really fun. Anyway, but he gets Lot out. Why? Because he stopped at Abraham's house and had a dialogue with him about it. Why did he have to do that? He didn't. When he was going to blow up Nineveh, who did he tell? Did he tell the Ninevites? Nope. He told Jonah. He tells his people stuff. You just got to know that. Let's finish it out. You did not choose me, boys. Normally, you'd select your rabbi. You remember, Matthew, you're sitting at work at a tax collector's booth, and I come walking by out of nowhere, and I said, you got to follow me. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you. I charged and empowered you that you should go into the world and advance the kingdom and bear fruit, and that your fruit should be lasting forever. You guys, I designed it so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. Guys, these things, I'm telling you what to do so that you'll love one another in the right way. Okay, what's the point of the message? Connection, connection, connection. I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that the reason we had so much presence of God tangibly in the way of miracles and power and forgiveness and love and compassion pouring out in worship, prayer, and healing night was because we collectively as a church spent more time connected with him for the first 40 days. Amen, right? Yes, praise God. All that prep matters. Why? Not because we were working a formula out to where we could become superheroes. It was because we remain connected to the one that answers all those requests. It was because he likes honoring the unity and the obedience and the connection and the depth and the prayers and the meditation on his word. And he, and he loves that stuff. And I think that the more and more we are connected, imagine if we all did that. Imagine if every single one of us in a consistent way were living connected with God, constantly seeking him every day, fasting when he calls us to fast, shoving things out of our life that we may focus on him. If we live that, how much power would God move in his church? Man, are you kidding me? Is it worth it? That's the answer you got to figure out. Because if we're not making adjustments, we're practically saying it actually doesn't matter. But I really think it does. And why can't we live fired up for God before the persecution hits and not wait for it after? 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe that you have so much for us to grow in, so much excitement. Lord, so much for this church to just begin to click on all cylinders. I believe, Father, that in our families that there's more. I believe that you have set us free, that you have empowered us, that you have strengthened us, that you've given us truth and identity. And Lord, we have yet to access all of it. I think that we are still considering your words to be opinions and not fact. And so, Father, would you allow all of this to begin to soak down from our head down into our hearts that we may come alive in you. Would you allow us to be connected to you? God, if we have made our connection to you thin and we feel anemic as believers, may you engraft us again in a more powerful, thick way that you might bear much fruit in us for your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. The prayer team is here for you if you need them.